guys, welcome back after a fantastic weekend of weather. I don't know about sports. That's the other thing. Um, Clippers, just quickly, I just want to touch base on a, a few of the things that happened. But the main thesis of this episode is going to be more about what should they do now, right? These teams that lost, do you do a crazy rebuild? You know, what's the story? What's the appropriate route moving forward? First off, obviously, the Dallas Clippers uh, series, really interesting. Uh, look, uh, again, uh, I know I understand there was a, a massive talent gap. I understand um, the Clippers should have made a beat the Dallas Mavericks in five or six. Still still good. You know, they, they overcame a uh, uh, down-two deficit. Uh, they adjusted, and they won. The Clippers do have a lot more talent. I, I still say that's the team that should come out of the West. Obviously, Brooklyn should steamroll the East. And Brooklyn um, Clippers in the finals is interesting. Unfortunate for L.A. that Ibaka is hurt. He, to me, will be a key differentiator in such a series or really throughout the playoffs. They might not win the West, obviously. That's not a foregone conclusion by any means. Utah is very strong. I I, I love how Utah went avant-garde and no one talks about it. And this is going to be a... Uh, a flow into what we talk about for these teams in the offseason. Utah did something different. No one talks about this because they're Utah. I don't know why. LeBron made the comment, you know, superstars didn't grow up wanting to go to Utah. Kind of a dick comment, if you ask me. All right. Do they really grow up go- wanting to go to Cleveland either, jackass? All right, give me a break. So Utah started basically four wings and a center. You could, wait, what are you talking about? Mike Connolly started. Connolly was out most of the year. Or was out a, de- a decent time frame in the second half. And then Mitchell was out too. Did they force a starting point guard in those situations? No. They kept Clarkson off the bench, who's more of a combo guard. They only roll with one real legit point guard on the roster, right? NATO's gone. All those other backup point guards are gone. So there's only one, if you want to say, like pure point guard in Connolly, if you want to call him that, that's fine. But he didn't play. Their four-wing lineup was basically Mitchell, Joe, Bogey, Royce O'Neal, and Gobert. Four wings and a big. What does that do? A couple of things. So now, instead of one guy playing point guard, or let's say it better, one guy having playmaking abilities, and again, they learned this more, in particular, after Mitchell went down, you now have four guys that kind of need to patch together to play a little point guard. And it forces them to now think ball movement and getting people involved and everything like that. I mean, the the passing on the Jazz is is phenomenal. Now you could say, well, they've got great spacing. There are other teams in the league that have decent spacing. And by the way, it's not like the spacing was that miraculous. I mean, look, Joe Inglis is, is a ball spacer. There's no question about it. He's one of the most underrated spacers in the league. But when he had, especially when Mitchell was out, when he had Joe Bogey, uh, so it was great, two spacers in the lineup, and he filled that in with Royce O'Neal, who's not really a spacer. He could shoot the three, but he penetrates as well. You know, that's still a tremendous uh, accomplishment from, from players that don't necessarily play traditional point guard. And, and, and the real rule is, right, like, look, the, these guys made the league for a reason. What I mean by that is they're not inept in these um, 
in these non uh, basketball skills, or sorry, these basketball skills, right? Like a guy like Joe Inglis, oh, he could just shoot. Well, no, he could clearly dribble and and pass too. So they they had a whole line of full of guys. It's kind of like a football team that has like four quarterbacks and like one offensive set. I mean, they'd be unstoppable, right? No, I mean football. By the way, there's a whole stream of ideas I have that can make that outside the box. That's one of them, by the way. You run lineups with like two or three guys are capable of passing. Can you imagine that? Guys are passing, you know, <laughs> you know, ha ha hike, and then like the quarterback throws it to the wide receiver who can play quarterback, and then he hands off to the running back who can play quarterback, and as the defense are like, wait, wait, are they throwing? They like, what the hell is going on? Confuse the crap out of the defense. It'd be fantastic. A back team like Jacksonville should totally try it. Anyway, Utah did that. They had four guys who basically combined to be the playmaker. And that's a fantastic concept. It really is. The way to full, uh, the way to win in the NBA, rather, is you have a lot of different guys that can beat you, and the defense does not know which route you're taking, you know, who's going to be your scorer, who's your penetrator, who has which roles. The roles, the roles alter. They change around. Because all these guys are capable of playing a little point. Now, look, I think it's important to have ball handlers – but the ball handlers could be wings, is my is my point. They could easily be wings. There are situations in NBA history where wings were forced to play point. Uh, and they usually played better when they played point. I have some random examples. Um, but people don't remember this. When Brad Stevens, I think it was his first year on the job. I got I to gotta get this right. If it was the first or second year. We had Jordan Crawford. Previously with Washington, he showed some flashes of being this, like, offensive juggernaut. But, again, more of, like, a, a volume shooter, right, low-efficiency guy. Okay, Celtics didn't really have any point guards at the time. We put Jordan Crawford at point guard. And he flourished. He did. He was really good at point guard. How do we know this? Well, look, I, I remember people were even flirting with him. I mean, like, look, it was life flirting. Okay. But they were still flirting with him making the all-star team in that first year. They came off a 50-point win in Madison Square Garden. I believe Jordan Crawford even did the traditional how-you tweet at Bill Simmons, the writer, to be like, yeah, you want us to tank? How about now, buddy? You didn't think we were going to be this good? And then kudos to, you know, Age recognizing, okay, like, for God's sakes, this is Jordan Crawford. This guy is maybe shouldn't be in the league. He's playing well with us because of Stevens. He's playing point guard. And then he flips it to Golden State to get a future first. That was that was well done to max out that value. I bring that up because, again, Jordan Crawford, classic wing, plays point guard a lot better. Other situations, Terrence Williams, another guy who floated around the league, came from Louisville, right? He's been on a bunch of different teams. When he was on the Nets a few years back, I think it was when Deron Williams went down. i got to remember the timing. He played more point guard. He was far more efficient at point guard. Antoine Walker with the Celtics. Um... Going way back, but uh, in 2001, I want to say, um, you know, the Celtics were out of the playoffs the last 10 games of the season. Kenny Anderson went down. And Rick Pitino was like, look, instead of going the classic, like, Dana Barrow starting, basically, our backup, let's try Walker at the one. And he was fantastic. So fantastic. I'm still upset to this day. We didn't try that for the following season. But he averaged something like, 28 and 8. He had like two or three triple doubles down the stretch. We were way better with him at the one. 
what's the advantage of having a wing at the one? Let's talk about this too. What's the advantage? Well, one is like if they control their turnovers. So if they're not turning it over, like your former point guard, there's two automatics that are better because they're bigger. They're either a wing or in Walker's case, he was a four. Now you're getting incremental rebounding out of the one, right? So meaning like, let's say you're averaging, making this number up 35 rebounds a game and the opponent's uh, averaging 35 rebounds a game. Well, now if your point guard is giving you five and then the opponent is giving you three and your big is, is uh, you replaced your, your whatever, your other position with someone who's an average rebounder as well, you're now going to be on average roughly, you know, two boards better than the other team, which could be one or two possessions a game, which over the course of a season should improve you by at least 10 to 15%. I mean, that's, that's a big difference, right? The second thing is, you know, a lot of the times these guys don't, they don't play like out of role either. So they're not like, I mean, I may, maybe Walker's the exception, but a lot of times when you peg someone, the point guard, they're like, oh, I got to pass more. So now you're getting a guy who has not traditionally been a good ball mover to still move the ball. So potentially your assist could go up too. They're still being careful. They're, they're trying not to, you know, overdo it, but, but they're at least looking, they're, they're, they're playing in a different, they have a different mentality, let's say, while they're playing. So you tend to, you, believe it or not, a lot of point guards are, are high, you know, they even guys like Chris Paul to an extent, and he's one of the best, um, are used to, you know, driving in traffic and, and making, you know, passes and things like that. The wing doesn't look at it. They're not all of a sudden going to turn into this Jason Williams type, typically. You don't see wings, when they become point guards, are, are, are looking to be like the Sebastian Telfair, you know, you know, driving to traffic, flipping behind my back and pass, they're still looking to make safe passes because they don't want to embarrass themselves at point guard either, which actually helps. So while their assists don't go high, they're still moving it. So the assists stay the same. Turnovers go down. Then the third thing is just the defense is going to be better. Why? Again, if you're smaller, you know, another point guard, um, well, so if you're smaller, you're not going to be able to help D as well. So if another wing blows by that point guard or, you know, or in a pick and roll, there's a big, you know, the point guard's useless in that situation. Even then the double is useless. Taller players with more length tend to be better defenders. They physically have the attributes. So you've improved the three areas. Uh, your turnovers tend to improve in these situations. So you're getting less turnovers, more rebounds, better defense. So overall, you're a little more efficient and you're getting a little more possessions per game. Now I say this again, like that's, should every team go for a wing at point guard? No. If you have, obviously, a standout point guard who's really good, who's like, you know, uh, uh, an, alt, uh, an all-NBA team guy, obviously they should be point guard. But you tend not to lose that, that much if you replace them. Again, look at Utah's example. If you replace Connolly... With, like, a wing at point, they're not losing that much. Those possessions tend to go elsewhere, and, and the defense tends to improve. Now, down the stretch, do you need a score? You still need these roles down the stretch. And you can still play with certain players down the stretch. But, again, if you're – again, the exception is the all-NBA team guys, right? So, I would say Jamal Murray or better is your barometer. If your point guard is Jamal Murray or better, you're obviously better off with that point guard typically because he's a good shot creator, shot maker – and he's making up for his offense with any lack of defense. So any lack of defense, he's making up for the other end. And at the end of the day, you're looking for net improvement. You're not looking for offensive improvement. 
You're looking for net improvement. Utah showed that. They showed that. So I bring that up as my concept for a lot of teams ahead of the offseason, the Utah route. Now, look, look, it's a copycat league. I get it. I don't know if Utah realized this. They probably did. But if you, again, if you have more wings, uh, it, it's helpful. So let's go through the team. So Portland, you know, j- coming off a fresh, fresh loss. Market fresh. I, if I'm Portland, I'm changing the dynamic of my team a little bit. I, I'm not making, like, crazy wholesale moves. And I'll explain why. For Portland to truly rebuild, this is what like people don't get. Like, oh, just rebuild. And, and by the way, the dumbest articles I've read is like, rebuild around Lillard. For God effing sake, if you want to rebuild, Lillard's the guy you got to move. You don't rebuild around Lillard. If you rebuild, that's called retooling because he's your main guy. Rebuilding means you, you reset. You don't reset with your franchise player. And there's no retooling to be done either because, like, again, it's all about, like, it's like the stock market. You want to buy low and sell high. So CJ McCollum, coming off kind of an injury-riddled year, you're not going to be able to sell high on CJ McCollum. He's better. His book value is better than his market value. And that's the case for a lot of the guys on the Blazers. So it doesn't make sense to me to do wholesale deals just to do them. That's silly. What I would prefer to do, if I'm if I'm these teams, is yeah, I change the dynamic. So if I'm Portland, I do agree that it's time for Lillard to go. He's thirty. I have nothing against him. I love Lillard, but it's it just there's so many domino impacts of Lillard on the Portland Trailblazers. And I'll explain further. So Portland's issue to me is just their defensive flexibility. I mean, they are one of the worst defensive teams. They can't hold teams under 140 points. Okay. So you're asking Lillard because your team is so bad defensively. And is it Lillard's fault? No. Does he help? No. You're asking Lillard to go crazy offensively every night. And people are like, oh, no one else is, is helping out. Well, the role has been established. It's kind of, and again, I got credit credit credits due. There is a Ewing theory concept where basically, um, you know, teams default sort of the prime guy and they're like, okay, he's our prime guy. He'll carry us. And there's a mentality there. You're kind of afraid to attack, uh, lest you, um, bother the, the roles. Then now you're bothering the roles a little bit for everybody. If you're CJ McCollum and you, and you start getting the green light and you go nuts, kind of disturbs the roles for the rest of the, the guys. Now, again, I think Portland needs to deal with it because his value is going to start slightly diminishing. He's 30. I think this is the last time you're going to get AA quality um, value for him. You know, teams are still going to see he's got three, four years left. He hasn't shown signs of sliding down. He will eventually. Everyone does. You know, Jalen Rose has got a great quote, right? Father time is undefeated. So if I'm Portland, the way what I do is I actually keep the lineup because I don't really have a choice. I have to max out these guys in some way. I do the the Philly deal. I do it. I don't think Philly is going to win the East if they don't. Maury really wants to to win something. I do. I asked for the same package basically they, they were going to give for Harden. And you can tell me, well, Harden's way better than Lillard. Yeah, but Lillard's not demanding a trade. So I can get that that 
difference. I would love a package on Simmons, Maxi, and Picks. That is what I asked for if I am Portland. Simmons, Maxi, and Picks. And by getting Simmons, what I what I essentially do if I'm if I'm Portland is, you know, I start, I, I probably bring Powell back. Like, I, I, if they're going to pay, sure. I don't think, like, if I could replace Powell with a better two guard, I, I, I would. I don't, I just don't see it happening. And I think, like, what happened in Portland was it was just an exacerbated problem. So let's discuss that a little bit. Meaning, like, everybody was a worse defender for their position. So I'm throwing out Lillard at the one. He's a below average defender. I get supposing ones. He's not a disaster, but he's slightly below average. And it's not his fault he's below average. He's below average because I'm depending on him on offense. So that starts the domino impact. But now I have McCollum, who would be a fine defender if he was defending opposing point guards. But he's not. He's defending opposing shooting guards who are bigger. I'm going to domino it because now I got Norman Powell. He's a great shooter. Great. But I got Powell playing small forward, not shooting guard. Again. If Powell was defending opposing shooting guards, I can live with it. He's an average defender. Against opposing small forwards, I'm in, I have a problem. Now I got Robert Covington. Covington, great defender. Good help guy. Can he defend? Is he above average defender at the four? Yes. Would it be better if he's defending threes? Yes. So I'm not even using Covington to the max degree, but it's fine. Covington's not the issue. But you're... Covington's the one positive on defense. Then I got Nurkic at the five, who's not the best defensive five either. He's not bad, though. He clogs clogs the lane. And, look, I lost Zach Collins. Zach Collins was injured, which is a big deal. I'm not going to discount that. So my hope would be if I bring Simmons now and I basically make him defend the opposing three, let's say. He's defending guys like Brandon Ingram, LeBron. <clears throat> Kawhi Leonard, Paul, whatever. One of Leonard or George. He's defending opposing small forwards. If I have that, now McCollum's defending opposing point guards. I'm average at the one. Powell's defending opposing two guards. I'm average at the two. Simmons is now defending. I'm I'm above average at the three. I got Simmons and, and Covington. I got great wing defenders against teams now that have a lot of wings, like the Clippers. And then Nurkic, I'm hopeful, could clog it a little bit. That lineup defensively makes a lot of sense. Is that a knockout Hall of Fame defensive lineup? No. But it would take Portland from something like 27th in the league in defense to average at least 15th. Right? Do I move that far back with Lillard, losing Lillard for Simmons? I don't think I do because, again, it's about reallocation of assets. Now... I basically swap. I'm swapping Lillard's um, shot selection with CJ Powell. Nurkic is going to get a little more. Covington is going to get a little more. And I feel I have enough offensive talent to do that. Right? Now, to further improve Portland, obviously, there's some minor things I would do. I don't have to get into detail. So crazy. Anthony Simons, that's a sign of trade special. I, I try to get, and I remember I got Maxi in this, in this theoretical deal, whatever. Um, I try to do a sign of trade for Simons uh, and get a backup wing. 
that way. I hope Zach Collins is healthy. That's a big if, I know, but I need him. And that's my new eight-man rotation. Maxi, maybe I, I get a couple other veterans, you know, for for a low, for a low price, what have you. Probably make a run at Will Barton to make up for any offense I might have missed from Lillard. Does Barton start to play sixth man? We decide. Um, but I think he'd be he'd get starters minutes for sure. That'd be my take on him. But in essence, yes. I would definitely, definitely do that move on Portland. A lot of people knock at Simmons is terrible, blah, blah, blah. Again, he transforms your team defensively. Which is super, super critical. Super critical. That's exactly what you need. You want just a, a beast on defense. Um... And then you have four guys, you know, then you're hoping that you, you sign the right guys and that team can tweak it. Now, look, aftermath, does that team win the West? No, but again, you reframe it. Now everyone's in a position to be successful. That's the key. Everyone's in a position to be successful. And, like, look, you <clears throat> you give it to the deadline. If you're not, like, a top four seed by the trade deadline, then you may tweak. <clears throat> but your hope is that because everyone's in a position to be successful – you can now max value for your players. Your dollar is worth a dollar in the open market. Unlike now, where it's worth 70 cents. That's the concept. That's Portland. That's what Portland should do. And again, it's the same philosophy for a lot of these teams that lost. Dallas. <clears throat> so Dallas needs to embrace the Luka at point guard concept. Okay? They have it already. They have a wing playing point guard. Someone said this, and, and, I, and I tend to agree with this concept as well. The question is, can you win in today's NBA playing that way? I think it's, you know, it's a question I, I've asked uh, as well, right? Where if you, um, if you have just a, such a heavy, again, it goes back to the Ewing theory, what have you, such a heavy um, emphasis at one player, right? Is that, you know, and then everyone's kind of ball watching. What does that do? Now, Dallas, they was not that talented also. I think they, you know, Rick Carlisle is one of the best playoff coaches ever. Why? He adjusts. I want to talk about this too, right? We talked about this in the last few pods. You need to adjust in the playoffs. Like, if you were going into a series and you're worse than the other team, or something happens and things change, you got to adjust. Okay, Thibodeau did not adjust. He had places to adjust. Randall could have played small ball five. Toppa could have played more. He had to get Capella out of the paint. He was killing them. They didn't figure out a way to do that. Dallas realized they were killing Zubak. So they threw Bobon in there, hoping the Clippers would counter with Zubak and kill Zubak in the pick and roll. They did that in one game. They decided the other game, you know, we're going to let Bobon be Bobon. And it ended up working out. But it was at least a different strategy that they attempted, throwing Bobon in there. You got to do a different strategy in the playoffs. Can't do the same stuff. It's just, it's tiring. So, if that's the case, Dallas, in my opinion, like, I get it, they, you know, KP, I don't know what the, what the fit there, everyone's kind of, you know, 
nervous about that. His value is not great right now, right? If like if I'm a team like the Celtics, I'm jumping on that. A lot of teams do. Um, you know, the, do you keep him? Do you not? Maxi Kleber, did he really help? He was kind of this weird four guy. I don't know. Dallas is stuck a little bit. Um, they they obviously are going to go all in for a power forward. The move that I do is I probably do something where I, I've said this idea before, but you got to take a shot at a young prospect, hope he hits, and then, and then deal that prospect for more help. So my idea if I'm Dallas is trading my cap space and Jalen Brunson for Kevin Love and uh, Darius Garland. And then I start Garland, I hope Garland plays well, and then I move Garland for um, more win-now players. That's why I move. And I try to retain everyone else um, that I had for the year to just build continuity. I think Love is a massive upgrade over Maxi Kleber. Does that get you in the top four? You're close. It sniffs it. Is it the best idea? It's the best idea I can think of. But I think Cleveland does it. I think Brunson accepts the role there as a, as a backup mentor point guard for, for Sexton. You get rid of Sexland. I don't think it's working in Cleveland. And I like Garland. He could surprise. He's a great offensive talent. You know, if Dallas is clever, finds a way for him to work with Luka, that works. That's what I do uh, if I'm if I'm Dallas. And then finally, you know my Celtics concept. <clears throat> they have two routes. They have either a Walker, you know, deal they can do, or they look to move off. Regardless, Marcus Smart's the guy they got to trade, as I've said. Marcus Smart uh, has the biggest irony of his last name. He's really a low IQ player for them. A lot. He's still got decent market value. Uh, I try to bring Fournier back, but if I have to deal Walker to do it, I do. And I think there's a bunch of Walker deals that no one talks about. There's Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe. I, I could see value there. There's um, the Clippers package. You know, something around Zubak or Morris, Leonard, and, and, and Beverly. Not great value, but at least you unload him. But by unloading him, you force the four-wing concept. Langford basically starts in his place. Okay? You bring Fournier back. And then you move up. <clears throat> you trade Smart. And even Thompson's expiring to fill in the gaps. So, for example, if you do the New Orleans deal and Adams is your center and Bledsoe's coming off the bench in that deal, you move Smart um, and... Uh, you know, maybe you move him with the pick to, to move up. But that's what I do for those teams. That's what everyone should do. Guys, it's Monday. Have a great, have a great day.